BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The world's systems that produce food and goods suck in tremendous natural resources, and then we throw a bunch of it away. The average American produces 4.9 pounds of waste daily, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. While water issues and climate change grab headlines, wasting less is a crucial strategy for environmental sustainability. And in this student-produced segment as part of KQED's annual youth takeover, we'll take a critical look at the origins of zero-waste living and how it can be practiced today. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. While the zero-waste lifestyle has appeared in more social media feeds and advertisements in recent years, it is far from new, with roots tracing back to many communities of color and indigenous practices. In this show, we'll examine the ways that quote-unquote zero-waste living intersects with other forms of green activism, think through its origins, and welcome you into this conversation about the role individuals can or should play in reducing society's toll on our biosphere we're joined this morning by Isaias Hernandez, an environmental educator and the creator of the website Queer Brown Vegan. Welcome, Isaias. Thank you so much again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're also joined by Shilpi Chothre. She's the co-founder and executive director of People Over Plastic and a major plastic pollution activist. Welcome, Shilpi. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And here in the studio with me, we have Khadija Khan, a sophomore at Santa Clara High School, a member of KQED's Youth Advisory Board, and the producer of today's segment for Youth Takeover Week. Thanks for the show, Khadija, and for joining us this morning. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Isaiah, let's start with you. For people who haven't heard about it, what is a zero-waste lifestyle? Like, what's the goal here? Yeah, so... You know, in the popular movement of the zero waste lifestyle, it, it looks into this practice of a circular lifestyle, meaning that the resources that you use are also going back into the land. And so the zero waste lifestyle advocates for elimination and massive reduction in our lifestyle within plastic, whether that's the produce that we purchase, whether that's the household products that we use or the bathroom products that we hold. And so Zero Waste Lifestyle is meant to encourage consumers to become more aware of the plastic crisis and how they can create small changes in their life. Yeah. 
When did you start practicing a zero waste lifestyle if you if you consider yourself to be doing so? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that, you know, with my zero waste lifestyle, it was back in 2019 when I was living in Oakland. I had been celebrated my first year being vegan. I had asked myself critically, what are other ways in my life that I'm able to extend myself to other forms of issues that are currently happening? And so I realized that, you know, as a former college student, I was using so much plastic when I was in university. And I said, you know, this has to change. And so I extended myself to start reducing my plastic by using the 12 times per year product rule, which means that, you know, every month I'd, you know, swap out a product for a plastic free product. And, you know, it slowly grew. And since then, you know, since three years from, from then it's, I've reduced over 36 items in my household. Wow. Hey, Khadija, what was your first interaction with the sort of idea of zero waste? Yeah, for sure. So growing up in a South Asian, first-generation American household, we were taught to never waste anything, whether it be food or tubes of toothpaste. Nothing ever really went to waste. But it's important to note that it was never really labeled for environmental reasons, but really it was just the smarter, more economic way to live. You should be... How do you think about zero waste? Like for you, how how are you defining that in, in your own life? Well, I think in simple terms, you know, this has already been covered. It, it really means avoiding waste from going to the landfill, um, addressing circularity, how products and packaging can be used over and over again. But it's important to note that only 9% of plastic has been recycled globally. So zero waste claims are typically not quite zero waste because it's nearly impossible <laughs> to achieve in our current consumer-driven society. Um, of course, as someone who's been involved in the plastic pollution advocacy side since about 2014, started looking at this issue, um, microplastics and fish actually, and then have been more uh, did a, more of a deep dive into the environmental justice side of things. I think we really need to look at zero waste as more of an infrastructure issue, a municipality issue, and an accessibility issue. So I think I have a slightly different take um, on zero waste as, as perhaps something we should look at as, as life cycle versus lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about circularity, uh, how does that different for you relative to just kind of the, the old way of thinking about uh, recycling. Oh, is that mute? She'll be, oh yeah, uh, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, the concept of zero waste has been so misrepresented and almost exploited in terms of greenwashing and furthering the corporate agenda. Um, in some ways it's become like another term, uh, like sustainability or green. So we really need to be interrogating claims of zero waste and and for consumers being careful of what you're endorsing and celebrating. Yeah. You know, when you said that only 9% of plastics are recycled, is that as a result of people not sorting the plastic or that it is, you know, physically impossible or at least um, implausible, let's call it, to recycle certain types of plastic? That is such a great question. And this goes into the systemic change part of the equation. We really need to be looking at the corporate piece of this and even tracing it back to fossil fuels. 99% uh, of plastic comes from a fossil fuel based source. And so when the petrochemical industry, which is coming from oil and gas, is saying they're going to increase production by 40% 
in the next decade, this is a huge wake up call um, with that 9% re recycling rate, which is quickly diminishing. So I think the onus really needs to be turning off the tap and less on consumers. Like, of course, we're going to do everything we can buy the bamboo toothbrush, you know, shop in bulk, but we're kind of missing the bigger picture here in getting to uh, the, the corporate accountability piece. And another tip, you know, those numbers, the chasing arrows on the bottom of plastic packaging products, you'll see numbers one through seven. Generally, three through seven cannot be absorbed by any domestic recycling infrastructure. And a lot of this is shipped to other areas of the world. So we have a podcast series, season two just dropped, and we're talking about the concept of waste colonialism. Mm -hmm. And this is where wealthier nations like the US are, are outsourcing our waste problem. And I've been to a lot of these areas in, in different parts of the world, especially in, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and this plastic is being dumped and, and openly burned. So again, I do think we need to put less onus and responsibility on the consumer. I think everyone knows we are in a climate catastrophe that is linked to plastic and kind of give ourselves a break, um, do what we can, but we really need to focus on that corporate piece. Shelby, two quick things. What's the podcast called? Oh, People Over Plastic. People Over Plastic. Okay. And, the, and the second thing was, I just wanted to highlight the thing that you said, because we've had this conversation, even on the forum team about how people do aspirational recycling. Basically, if you look at a piece of plastic, you turn it over and you see that little symbol with the arrows. If it doesn't say one or two, generally speaking, you, it's very difficult to recycle, right? That's That was just- That's the, the exactly right. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, Isaiah, I uh, wanted to come to you on this sort of individual versus you know more collective responsibility or uh, political responsibilities that we have to put pressure on corporations. How do you how do you see that for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as a content creator, I really try to disrupt binary system. It's not either or, right? It's we need both individual and then systemic change. And I think that individual change extends people to become curious to learn about systemic change, which is the intersections of right. The plastic crisis is an environmental justice issue. Um, it's a women's rights issue, as we know that the people that are working at the recycling centers are predominantly women and children from different countries. Um, and so I think for myself specifically, when I try to have these conversations with corporations, I think they, they need to acknowledge of the amount of um, waste that they've generated and also invest in sustainable packaging solutions. And what we're currently seeing right now in the industry with and trying to hold corporations accountable is that they actually do care about what content creators have to say. And I would say that on my platform, Queer Brown Vegan, I really try to not always provide solutions for people, but to ask them questions about, you know, it may be great that we're reducing these types of waste, but have you been able to sit down with brands or board members uh, to be able to discuss things? And, you know, more often than not, they're more than happy to talk with individuals. And I think, you know, being able to collaborate and sitting down with them um, showcases the example of how social media uses can be used as a tool um, to invoke that change. And I, you know, I've been able to consult with a few brands that have been able to now invest in some more, uh, what you would call compostable packaging or recyclable packaging. And, you know, there's a lot of work to be done within the industry. And I think that as much as we we would love to you know remove plastic and to not have as much plastic anymore um it takes time to shift over to a new supply chain where you know not only workers are being unvalued um, but also animals in the planet is being valued equally yeah 
Khadija, what initially drew you to zero waste as sort of a, a topic and something you wanted to explore? It's interesting because the first time I saw zero waste, the term, um, it was actually in a BuzzFeed video. And the way it was portrayed, um, it seemed like a movement that only white, wealthy women could really partake in just because it seemed like an expensive and something that was really inachievable, honestly, just because of the way that it seemed really unrealistic to do on a day-to-day basis. However, the more you look at it and the more I learned about this individual versus corporate responsibility for the environment, I realized that the way that my family lives and the way that many other immigrant family lives is that it's actually easier to be zero waste on a day-to-day basis. Um, Looking at the way that we use our products and especially the way that we maximize our products, not only focusing on minimalism, that's where um, zero waste can actually be achievable for so many people. We're talking about zero waste living, its growing popularity, and its long roots in communities of color with Isaiah Hernandez, an environmental educator, creator uh, of the Queer Brown Vegan website. Shilpi Chothre, co-founder and executive director of People Over Plastic and a plastic pollution activist. And Khadija Khan, who you just heard, a sophomore at Santa Clara High School and a member of KQED's Youth Advisory Board, who produced today's segment for Youth Takeover Week here at KQED. And we would love to hear from you. We know lots of people in the Bay Area really care about this issue. How do you practice a zero-waste lifestyle? What's your experience been like in doing so? And how do you see the relationship between what we as individuals take on and what we need to drive change in the corporate or governmental areas. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email's forum at kqed.org. One uh, listener writes, Noel uh, tweets, it's extremely hard to not use plastic, but most plastic cannot be recycled and we have to find ways to avoid it. We stay home and cook from scratch. If we go out to eat, we bring our own containers for leftovers. We have a compost bin doing the little things. Thank you, uh, Noel, for that comment. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about zero-waste living, its growing popularity, its long roots in communities of color. Having a little issue with the phones right now, so hang on for us there. We can see your calls. We just can't take them yet. 
We're joined by Khadija Khan, sophomore, Santa Clara High School, and a member of KQED's Youth Advisory Board. She produced today's uh, segment for Youth Takeover Week. We also have Isaiah Hernandez, an environmental educator and the creator of Queer Brown Vegan website, multi-platform, really, Instagram and other things, as well as Shilpi Chothre, a co-founder and executive director of People Over Plastic. And we're going to add some more voices into this conversation. I want to welcome uh, Chaheti Bansal, a content creator on food and sustainability. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. We're also joined by Matt Zimbalist, co-founder of the ReUp Refill Shop in Oakland. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So, uh Chayette, I wanted to start with you. What did sustainability look like for you when you were growing up? Yeah, so um, I grew up with immigrant brown parents, so they they had a very different, um, you know, it, it wasn't called sustainability for me growing up because it was just the way that they lived and that the way they grew up so for me it was small things right it was finding food in the yogurt containers when i opened the fridge (laughs) or you know the sewing kit or the the cookie tin being used to store flour or things like that um but then it was also these very traditional practices that have been going on for centuries in so many countries around the world. So fermentation, um, you know, you can look at things like kimchi or chung and the way that you can ferment with just sugar or salt. And we have like Indian pickles and they're called achar and they're used by, you, you pickle them without refrigerating them. So either by dehydration in the sun or you know, dehydration these days, uh, a lot of people do in their microwaves um, or in their ovens. You can dehydrate stuff in your microwave? I mean, I guess that makes sense. I just hadn't thought of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, for example, my mom used to make mint powder from fresh mint. So, you know, in the summer, she'll take it out and dehydrate it in the sun. But these days, she just puts it in the microwave and uh and dehydrates it that way and then you have these crunchy leaves which you just kind of crush and you get mint powder so um there was there were so many of these uh, very common and rural traditional practices and i saw a lot of that growing up uh when it came to sustainability so nowadays how do you practice this sort of sustainable living through food I think uh, a lot of the same ways I'm, I'm a food content creator. So I, I love, uh, you know, doing fermentation and pickling and all that stuff. Um, but also I am, you know, uh, a modern millennial woman and <laughs> grew up with, uh, with all the conveniences that we have in the kitchen. So a refrigeration, a refrigerator has been the best thing. I always tell everyone that your freezer should I think freezers in general are very underused and I use my freezer to store anything, even if it's, you know, garlic that you chopped a week ago and you think you're not going to use it, put it in the freezer. Or if you have wilting spinach or anything that you think is going bad soon, put it in the freezer and you can always use it. Ripe bananas, brown bananas, 
cut them up, put it in the freezer. You can use them for smoothies. Um, so it's ways like that also, I, you know, the ways that I grew up with, with these traditional practices, but um, also ways like that. And also leftovers. I feel like I've really started to appreciate leftovers more as, as I've grown up. And, you know, now I guess that I'm, I'm spending my own money on my food. I'm a little bit more uh, conscious of, okay, how can I make what I had for dinner last night into something different for breakfast or uh, for something else for lunch? You know, Khadija, yeah. I wanted to ask you if you had some of these same experiences growing up. I mean, you still are growing up. Uh, did you have some of those same feelings of like, oh, I can make these things drawing on my cultural practices and it kind of fits into this larger environmental narrative? Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because... We have a cabinet with old yogurt containers where we would always reuse them and put leftovers in. Our freezer is packed with any type of leftovers. But really, um, it's interesting because we never label it as zero waste, but really it's just, it's not a choice for us, but it's really what makes more sense. And food-wise, that's where I always saw that practice of sustainability. And I think when it comes to food waste and food waste concerns, food waste is such a growing problem throughout the world, but really in the United States. And I think looking at how food waste is a problem, it's important that people implement sustainability in their kitchens because that's something that we use on the daily. Yeah. Really interesting uh, concept, Matt Zimbalist, uh, the Re-Up Refill Shop in Oakland. I have, I have been there myself. I have some of your olive oil. I have some of your peanut butter. Um, but for people who haven't been to the shop like what would they see when they when they walk into the re-up refill shop uh well we like to think of the refill shop as kind of the bulk section of a grocery store on steroids a little bit so everything in our store is either refillable or compostable so you have all your oils vinegars sweeteners shampoos conditioners body washes laundry detergents dish soaps um, all in bulk and all refillable. So people bring their own containers, a lot of those old yogurt containers that were mentioned, and just come and refill to try to reduce a little bit of that single-use plastic that's lying around the house. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's a reimagining of the grocery, grocery aisle is what we think of it. You know, Matt, one of the funny things about your store, though, having been there, is like, cool music is playing. It doesn't actually feel like a like an old hippie shop, you know, it feels like a, of this moment. Was that a very like conscious decision to have like, you know, super cool branding and, and all, all those things that are associated with kind of uh, that I wouldn't actually associate with the old kind of health food store? Uh, yeah, I think it's got a little bit of a, a millennial spin on it. Um, I'd say me and the other two co-founders that I started it with, I think it's really a representation of what we care about and how we live. And so the brand is created by another co-founder, Carly Fishman, who's very interested in thinking about how to bring people in in a soft, playful way of reducing waste and thinking about environmental justice and environmental movement in a way that doesn't feel very, yeah, old, old school hippie, I would say. And <laughs> I love my old school hippies out there. I don't want to yeah. say anything bad oh, about them. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> they're welcome at the shop, of course. That's uh, the base, too, for sure. And it's something we're excited about being a part of. That's cool. We're talking about zero waste living. It's growing popularity. It's long roots in communities of color. And good news, the phones are working. Have you considered practicing zero waste living? Why or why not? 
Have you encountered it in your social media feed and wondered what it is? Uh, our number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email's forum at kqed.org. Let's bring in our first caller, Suzette in Berkeley. Good morning. Um, I am on um, Instagram at Reduce, Reuse, Suze. And um, one of the things that I promote on my platform is paying attention to how you shop. So shopping your cabinets first and seeing what you already have before you go grocery shopping. And then also minimizing how much plastic you buy when you go to the store. So um, instead of buying, you know, a plastic container that has spaghetti sauce, buy the glass one and then reuse that glass. Um, Or instead of buying frozen vegetables in bags, buying them in cans. And so what, what I to do is get people to recognize how they can do some really simple things when they shop um, to minimize how much waste they're going to contribute downstream. So also thinking about buying things or when you're buying things, how are you going to throw it away? So Mm -hmm. that's for clothes, that's for food. I mean, not food, but the containers that you use Mm -hmm. and being far more intentional about how we purchase in the first place and not just buying because it's something we're used to but being really conscious consumers about how we're going to dispose of things too. So um, you can look at me on Instagram or TikTok at Food Indie, which is about food independence and like growing more of our own food. Because uh-huh. if we're more aware of how to grow food, then we're not as likely to throw it away. So um, I love what you're doing today. And I just hope more and more people get on on board with minimizing waste from the beginning, not just after the fact and not just after they purchase something. Love that perspective, Suzette. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, Isaiah Hernandez, you know, this kind of goes to this concept of really looking at the life cycle of products and, and thinking about, you know, not just where they came from, but also how they'll be disposed of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I would say like, you know, LCA models, never measure the the real impact or the real That's a life cycle analysis models yeah yes yeah they they never really you know measure the true success but i would say that yeah like I, i'd say that for a lot of people um trying to decide what the best way for them to reduce their plastic waste is i try to do the 70 30 rule or the 60 40 rule where it's like at least half of your cart's plastic, half of it's plastic free. Um, I think that's a more sustainable and reasonable goal where people are not going to like um, hurt themselves physically or mentally trying to shop. Um, And yeah, I would say that in trying to consider um, vegetables or produce, like others have said, like thinking about how preservation has been used as a tool in many cultures uh, to ensure to expand the long life cycle analysis of that. Um, and how it's going to divert, uh, you know, diverting that waste into landfills and um, ensuring that other people can do that. And also I would suggest um, foraging as an act of like um, getting your produce plastic free. There's a lot of edible plants and herbs and mushrooms during spring and summer if you're someone who can't afford farmer's markets either. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Thank you for that. You know, um, Khadija, there's a really uh, interesting question from one of the listeners, and it wa- and it is it's for you, and it's why you felt that zero waste felt like something that was only for for wealthy white women. So the way it's portrayed in social media is actually really important to look at because um, the age that we live in today, everything's very influenced by media portrayal. The way that something appears to be in this, in social media really impacts how people think of the movement. Now, growing up, there was always an emphasis on 
being um, valuing what we have and valuing the resources we have, whether it be maximizing what we have or being minimal with what we buy, we always did have a value on not buying too much or maximizing what we have, whether it be cutting tubes of toothpaste to make sure we use every single last drop. But the way that zero waste was portrayed in social media, it seemed like a lifestyle where you had to go out of your way to actually practice it. Whereas there is many ways to actually practice zero waste sustainably, yet easily as well. So for immigrant families, many of us, zero waste isn't necessarily a choice. And it's important to recognize the privilege that comes with being able to practice zero waste for environmental reasons. So once zero waste is portrayed as a movement that's only for environmental reasons, that's where the first issue comes from. Because for so many people, zero waste is actually a lifestyle which you have to practice for economic reasons. And that's the case for many people of color, for immigrant families. Whereas there's a lot of privilege associated with the fact that you can practice zero waste solely for environmental reasons. You know, uh, Chad, do you wanted to ask you about, like, how much of an impact do you think the the small things that we're kind of talking about, you know, mil- the million small acts of reducing food waste in, in the kitchen, you know, m- making your own spice powders, things like that, like, how much of an impact do you think that can make and what, what needs to go along with it? Yeah, I think it's, again, one person can do everything, right? And I think it's just about minimizing your impact and doing what you can. And I, yeah, I completely agree with the point that for a lot of us, sustainability or zero waste in the kitchen or living wasn't about, um, you know, doing it for environmental reasons. It was because that was your circumstance. And I also say that 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 doesn't mean that it makes those practices any less sustainable um, because if anything, those communities are going to be suffering from the environmental impact and um, climate change the most. But yeah, I think it's, uh, it's the small things that you can do to reduce your impact. And then over time, it, I think it also builds a habit and you know, I, I've been growing up with these small little habits. So now it's just kind of part of my day to day. And I think that's what's important to just just build that daily habit. Yeah. Um, want to bring in Amy from San Rafael, kind of a follow up on what you were talking about. Khadija, welcome to the show, Amy. Hi, thank you so much for this um, this topic. I love the idea of zero waste, um, but as um, you were saying there's, you know, on Instagram and things, there's this very kind of privileged presentation of zero waste. And I have two small kids and I find it really challenging. I, I, when I think about things that I could try to reduce, I think, well, instead of buying a package of cookies, I could make cookies or I could <laughs> make bread. But these are all things that are very time consuming. And as a, as a working mom, and uh, I just don't have, I don't have the luxury of the time yeah. to translate everything that I purchase into homemade goods. So what's the sort and, of compromise you, you've come to, Amy? Um, well, I try to buy things that are recyclable. I try to buy, like, instead of buying half and half in, like, a carton, I buy it in a glass bottle mm-hmm. um, because I know that's the most recyclable um, product. But, um, you know, that's a little more expensive. 
you know, but, uh, you know, it's important to me. So I, so I make some of those sacrifices. Um, but it's, you know, I would love to know um, what kinds of resources are out there that aren't the like Instagram perfect stay at home, you know, mom or dad who has all the time in the world to do things like where are some resources that are more practical? Yeah. Yeah. For busy people. Yeah. You know, um, Matt Zimbalist, uh, co-founder of the Reup Refill Shop. I feel like you're one of those things. But what are what do you see yourself as part of an ecosystem of other kinds of services around the Bay Area that help people in this situation? Um, yeah, I think I think what's inspiring is there's more and more coming online. Um, I think there's a lot of online subscription type models like Grove, who's based out of SF, who does kind of a refillable model delivered to your door to kind of address that time issue going on. Um, but I think that as more and more people are exposed to the impact of plastic pollution, I think that more and more companies and bigger groceries are going to start rolling out more sustainable products and more sustainable ways of getting it. Um, for us recently, we just put in a refill kiosk into an grocery store in Castro Valley where people can come and fill up soaps there from the machine. So trying to get more distributed points of use in terms of refill and low waste options, I think is really the way of the future. And we kind of have to start demanding it, I think, a little bit more to see more of those options out there. Yeah. We're talking about zero waste living. It's growing popularity and its long roots in communities of color. We've been joined by Chahedi Bansal, a content creator on food and sustainability. We're going to let you get back to your uh, real life. Chahedi, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Also been joined by Matt Zimbalist, co-founder of the Reup Refill Shop in Oakland there on College Ave. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me. See you at the shop. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, sticking with us uh, across the break, we also have Isaias Hernandez, an environmental educator, creator of the Queer Brown Vegan website and all-around brand. We also have uh, Shilpi Chothre, a co-founder and executive director of People Over Plastic and a plastic pollution activist. And of course... Right here next to me, Khadija Khan, sophomore at Santa Clara High School, a member of KQED's Youth Advisory Board and producer of today's segment for Youth Takeover Week. We're going to get back to the phones. We're going to talk about the relationship between plastic production and environmental justice. So much coming up. Stay with us after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking 
about zero waste living with a great panel and also with you. I want to get some of your comments here. One listener tweets, my mother was a Depression-era child. She raised us, raised us with homemade bread, soups, and sometimes on food bank cheese. She made our childhood pajamas, Christmas stockings, and taught me to use everything you have. Do not waste anything. She's born in Texas and passed away in Sacramento. Good lessons there. Jeffrey tweets, Personal choices like moving toward a zero-waste lifestyle are important, and they are not enough. Let's make better personal choices, and let's pressure the decision-makers, politicians, and corporate leaders to make systemic changes. One funny thing I noted in preparing for this show, it was in 2006 that Oakland actually made a commitment to go to zero-waste in 2020. But so far, the website for the <laughs> how things are going hasn't been updated since 2017. So... You know, there's been a lot of commitments in this space by a lot of municipal governments, and it's kind of hard to tell where a lot of them have, have ended up. Um, also, a couple of uh, pans to bulk uh, stores. Uh, Sarah tweets, we need a bulk store in every town. Shout out to Country Sun and Real Produce Market in Palo Alto for at least giving us some options for bulk and unwrapped grocery purchases. But sheesh, affordable bulk now. And another listener writes, one of the big problems that we've recently encountered regarding plastic is that over COVID, everything that at one time was sold in bulk in many stores became packaged. Those packages have not returned to bulk in many places. I think it's incumbent upon all of us to contact the producers of those products and ask when they will return to non-packaging again. All, all very good points. Shilpi, I wanted to come to you. Shilpi Chothre, co-founder and executive director of People Over Plastic. I'm not sure that everybody understands the connection between plastic production, which is to say the petrochemical industry, uh, and environmental justice. Can you talk mm. a little bit about why that's such a crucial link? Absolutely. So I'm so glad you asked this question. The petrochemical facilities are always, I mean, this is not an anomaly and it's probably not surprising, but they're always located in low income communities of color, often Latinx communities. We see this in Houston and black communities in an area of the country we don't talk about enough called Cancer Alley near Louisiana. Um, and, and this is why so many of us that are part of the Break Free from Plastic movement, where I headed communications for many, many years, are so focused on the petrochemical sector because we literally see how it's killing our friends and colleagues in that area of the country. So when I talk about industry, and I talked about this earlier, they're actually really hoping that we focus on millennials fitting all their trash in a mason jar for the year than tackling <laughs> <laughs> the root cause of the problem, right? It's, it's a distraction. Um, I love so much of what Khadija said because I'm also a child of immigrants. I'm Indian American. Um, we grew up exactly like she described. Uh, and, you know, it's so ingrained in us, but we really need to keep focused on what's happening in a lot of areas of our country. We live in enormous area of privilege in the Bay Area. Um, it's no surprise that where these petrochemical facilities are strategically located in these POC communities, they're also states that have significant voter oppression. So we really, really need to be looking at this um, holistically, systemically, and, and also globally. Um, there is petrochemical 
there's a petrochemical boom not only happening here in the Gulf South, but in many parts of the world that are often headquartered by companies in the global north. So, you know, we're a tiny, very privileged bubble in the Bay Area. We're looking at the plastic pollution crisis. We, we need to look at the full picture. Yeah. Want to also talk, uh, part of that full picture, of course, is the global picture, and part of it is the local picture. I want to bring in uh, Fernanda from Redwood City to uh, talk about some Bay Area services. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to give a shout-out to a couple of places that I use. One of them is actually in Berkeley. It's called Feel Good, F-I-L-L. Um, but it's they deliver and they do bulk. Oh, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can. It was just feel good, not like feel good, but like feel, feel good. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> like, the, yeah, yeah, like F I L L good. Yeah. Uh, and they, they do bulk, probably very similar to the other um, person that you had in the show, but they deliver actually every other week to different parts of the peninsula as well. Um, so I actually get. Uh, laundry detergent from them and you can send the the containers back to them mm-hmm. so it's it's very helpful and the other service that i just started using that i'm so happy that we have but as um uh, your guest was saying we are so privileged to live in this area because i don't think many other areas or if any they have it it's a compostable diaper service called earth baby baby earth baby that is in the Bay Area, and it is a little bit more expensive. You have to pay for the service. Thankfully, I am able to um, do that, but it just um, makes me so happy to not send all the diapers that my baby uses to the one field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on the baby. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting <laughs> out of you. diapers all around. Um, thanks so much for that uh, for that call, Fernanda. I want to go... Um, Straight to Mo Han in Mountain View. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to, to point out that you know plastic uh, plastic packaging is definitely a problem, but we can't ignore what's inside the plastic packaging, uh, particularly with food. What you what you choose to buy matters as much, if not more, than the way it's packaged. Um, for instance, you know if you get a gallon of milk um, or a steak or a hamburger. Those have tremendous uh, impacts on the environment, um, mm-hmm. arguably more than the packaging. So we we can't ignore what's inside the packaging. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Mohan. And I think it's a perfect one for you, uh, Isaiah Hernandez, uh, environmental educator and the creator of uh, Queer Brown Vegan. How do you think about um, the the kind of overall impact that you're having and the way that veganism plays into it? Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to give a huge shout out to one of my good friends online of Environmental Toxin Toxins Nerd. Um, she has her own PhD in science and talks a lot about like the harmful chemicals within, um, you know, and packaging itself. But when it comes to the product itself, it is true that um, consumers have a responsibility in some way um, to be able to choose certain options that may lower their environmental um, footprint. And I think that for me, I advocate a lot for a plant-based diet for a lot of people is because I, I recognize that 
Um, it takes a lot of time and economic privilege to get someone to divest away from um, animal-based derivatives and almost every grocery market you enter, there's almost dairy or milk that is included in ingredients. And so I try to tell people that instead of um, looking at these different products, like you're going to the meat aisle, um, choosing plant-based products is a really great alternative. And of course, there's still the plastic issue that there's, uh, you know, we cannot really go against it due to regulations that are already implemented. Um, and yeah, I would say that, you know, choosing these plant-based options gives you the, the opportunity to reduce your carbon footprint and also supporting those small local owned brands that necessarily are trying to compete against these large-scale brands that get subsidies that already have um, dairy and milk in them. Thanks for that. We have a great comment from a, from a listener. One listener writes, uh, real change must be structural, that is to say systemic and ethical, say personal. Our family motto isn't zero, it's minimal, everything in moderation. So here's how we attained minimal waste in our family, slow food. It's not time consuming, it's how we live our lives. We shop for what we need with little packaging that cannot be recycled and make our pickles, have an apartment herb garden and dine in the evening for hours while we cook and eat and chat. The kids grew up this way, learning how to live and lots of family time, doing things as a family, making and eating sauerkraut and not watching TV. If that ain't practical, I don't know what is. I was with you, I was with you all the way, listener, until sauerkraut. <laughs> um, Khadija, I wanted to, uh, to toss this to you, kind of on your theme of, you know, this doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? And the kind of impact of, of just growing up this way. Yeah, definitely. So I think definitely growing up, I think there was definitely less emphasis on packaging, but also it was just how we do everything. And again, a theme was minimalism versus maximization. And maximization is actually one way to really practice zero waste by valuing what you have and using it to its fullest potential is really what's important about practicing a zero waste lifestyle or even a less waste lifestyle. And I think that goes back to how zero waste is portrayed in the media. Um, the way that's portrayed, it really emphasizes how much privilege there is to practice the lifestyle. But really, it's a less waste lifestyle, not just zero where it's all or nothing, but really if you value sustainability and if you want to implement that into your lifestyle, it can still be a less waste living lifestyle. But it's also important to acknowledge how much that the lifestyle and its portrayal puts so much emphasis on the individual, mm -hmm. whereas it's not on the corporations. For example, from a young age, we're taught to reuse, reduce, and recycle, but we're not taught to hold corporations who contribute to environmental concerns accountable for how they contribute to climate change and environmental concerns. Right. Who've built the very systems that we need to reduce, or reuse, and, and recycle within. Um, you know, that's a great segue into another uh, comment from listener Hillary. Hillary writes, zero waste in the home is clearly important, but I'd love to hear from your guests about any larger scale policy steps on this topic. I think keeping pressure on industry and people in power is crucial. Otherwise, we consumers slash voters run the risk of taking on the emotional and financial burden of reducing waste, whereas industry and government have contributed much more to the development of the system that relies on single use plastics, benefit from it and could dramatically change it. Uh, Shilpi, this is just the, the fastball across the plate. This is perfect for you. Um, what are the large scale policy changes that, that we could push here? Yay. I'm so glad you asked this question. So right now, 
in Congress, there is the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, and it really tackles plastic pollution as a life cycle issue. We're very, very excited about this. Um, it's even looking at a moratorium on petrochemical facilities. So this is huge. Um, it was proposed, I believe, last year um, in January. So we have a ways to go, but it's definitely something to get behind. It also looks at reducing low value plastic packaging from even getting on our shelves. And again, this is important because like I mentioned earlier, we're outsourcing our waste problem to other areas of the world. So it's really looking at keeping the higher value waste at the domestic level and removing the lower value waste from getting to our shelves in the first place. And that tackles the fast moving consumer goods sector. I think another thing um, I can mention just really quickly at the personal level and kind of approaching the corporate accountability please piece is doing a brand audit. And if you haven't heard of this, it's essentially looking at the plastic that's in your waste stream. The, the most plastic we have in the household is in our kitchen, in our bathrooms. So this again is, is um, you know, I'm not saying everyone can do this. <laughs> it's a time consuming thing, but literally taking an inventory of your trash. Um, and then you can make a personal decision of what to shop for in the grocery store, just being in power and having that knowledge and also tagging brands on social media. Like Isaiah said, they are listening, especially to influencers and say, hey, I love your product, but I hate your packaging. What are you gonna do about it? They have shareholders to add, uh, you know, report to. So this is something that social media has provided us as, as really a gift. If you wanna learn more about the brand audit um, at the community level, please visit um, the Break Free From Plastic website for more information. Yeah, you know, Shopee, that's one thing I did wanna ask you about. I mean, there were many municipalities like if you look just back through time, city after city was making these kind of zero waste commitments. What what do we think the impact of those has been? You know, it's a good start, but I think COVID was a huge um it's been a huge bridge to then gap because industry really doubled down on their lobbying power and started putting a ban on bans. This is also known as preemption. So we've lost a little bit of traction at the municipal level. Um, I think, you know, asking for more bulk and refill shops like Matt's, it's, it's great, but also um, making sure industry doesn't keep forging ahead with their plans of, of production and calling them out on social media and writing to your local mayors and people in place of, of power to see um, what they're doing about it. I mean, they're here to protect us as, as people and planet. So we need to hold them accountable. Yeah. I just think your, your work connecting up what doesn't seem on the face of it as if it is an environmental justice issue in the way that, you know, coal dust might be, but in fact is, uh, because of the way that plastic is produced, where it's produced, and the siting of those plants. I just think it's a really important point I wanted to underline one last time. Um, on, a, on a smaller level, commenter Judy writes in, about those yogurt containers, most are type 1 plastic, which I've read is not recommended to be reused for food, just used once. Um, Shilpi, is that right? Or can you address that? So there's a whole slew of research now on reusable plastic being 
you know, toxics in, toxics out sort of philosophy. Um, a lot of scientists are concerned about microplastics leaching into food. We're ingesting about a credit card's worth of microplastics a week, right? So just because we're reusing something that comes from a fossil fuel-based source that we think is you know the right more sustainable thing to do? Um, I can't make like a, a scientific comment on this, but uh, again, it's looking at sort of these deeper layers. I am extremely concerned about the microplastics issue and leaching. I also have a 16-month-old baby at home, so this is something that I'm reading up more and more on. But mm -hmm. that that's a great question. I think we need more research on it. Yeah. Uh couple quick ones here just at the end. Isaiah Hernandez wanted to, what's one practice that people who were curious in getting into this kind of in reducing their, their waste, what's one place to start? Yeah, I would say that, you know, dividing your lifestyle into three categories, I'd say living room, kitchen, and bathroom. I would say that a lot of people really get stressed thinking about their kitchen. I say, don't go for that aisle first, go for the bathroom because you don't consume, you don't eat your bathroom products. And it's really easy to, you know, swap out those products. And I, and I really emphasize people to do, um, you know, the one product per month swap rather than trying to go all, all in because that's what really creates stress for the consumer. And a lot of the times I also tell consumers to make sure that you're, you feel good using the product, meaning that, um, you know, for me, it's like I check if it's vegan or I check if it's actually like if it actually works for my body, because a lot of the times um, it's not that the products are made cheaply, it's that that they use very natural ingredients. And so you may not get the same um, durability compared to using like your standard plastic shampoo bottle. So I tell people just making sure that you do research mm -hmm. on that end. Mm -hmm. Khadija, you get the last word here today. This is the show that you produced. Fantastic job. Great guest. Thank you so much. And I'm just curious, you know, what do you hope that people take away from this, this hour? There is a lot of issues in the zero waste community. And I think the first step to combating it um, and that issue being racism in the zero waste community, we must highlight people of color zero waste practitioners. And we cannot talk about environmental concerns, environmental issues without addressing racism because environmental racism and zero waste correlate with each other. So the first step to addressing these growing environmental concerns within the zero waste community and beyond starts with highlighting people of color voices, whether it be people of color activists, people of color zero waste practitioners. That's where the change starts with it. Thanks so much, Khadija. For those who might be interested in learning more, Alberto writes in to say that Beth Terry wrote a great book and a resource called Plastic Free, How I Kicked the Plastic Habit and How You Can Too. We've been talking about zero waste living, its growing popularity, and its long, long roots in communities of color with Isaiah Hernandez, an environmental educator and creator of the Queer Brown Vegan website. Thank you so much, Isaiah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've also been joined by Shilpi Chothre, co-founder, executive director of People Over Plastic. Thank you, Shilpi. Thank you so much. And huge shout out to Khadija. This was great. Shout out to Khadija Khan, <laughs> sophomore at Santa Clara High School, who produced this as, for, as part of Youth Takeover. Thank you, Khadija. Thank you so much for having me. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country... We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.